welcome to the Meaning of Home podcast, where we discuss the complexities and connections between home and homelessness. I'm your host, Sarah Christou, and as always, with me is the podcast's producer, Dave Angel. We are doctoral researchers at Loughborough University, part of the Harnessing Opportunities for Meaningful Environments Centre for Doctoral Training, for short, the Home CDT. We are a cohort of seven PhD projects approaching concepts of home and homelessness through a creative lens to develop impactful new research. Every month we'll bring a new episode with a range of guests to provide commentary and conversation on different themes. In this episode, our theme is inclusion, where we'll be discussing the causes and impact of homelessness on LGBTQ plus young people in the UK. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Carrie Reiners, Deputy CEO of the Albert Kennedy Trust, AKT. Carrie joined AKT in 2017 as the Director of Fundraising and was appointed Deputy CEO in 2020. She brings over 25 years of experience in charitable fundraising and charity management, having worked in both the US and UK. Carrie has volunteered for many homeless organisations and shelter projects over the years and fully embraces AKT's mission to ensure that no young person needs to choose between a safe home and being who they are. Welcome, Carrie, to the Meaning of Home podcast. On this episode, as I said, we're discussing inclusion. Most sources of data suggest that LGBTQ plus individuals are more likely to experience homelessness than their peers, According to a report last year by the Centre for Homelessness Impact, LGBTQ plus individuals are also more likely to encounter overlapping experiences of social exclusion, such as institutional care, substance misuse and sexual exploitation, which may increase their likelihood of experiencing homelessness. In addition, there is a lack of research on the experiences of homelessness among people who identify as LGBTQ+, which means the data we have represents only a partial picture. Your organisation, AKT, has reported that 77% of LGBTQ plus young people gave family rejection, abuse or being asked to leave home as a cause of their homelessness. Carrie, can you tell us more about why LGBTQ plus individuals are more likely to experience homelessness? Thank you, Sarah. Yes, that, that stat is quite startling. Three quarters of the young people who come to us say that it is actually result of their family. And so those, although across society we see a lot of acceptance and many young people come out and are really embraced for who they are. Sadly, for a large segment of the LGBTQ plus community, that's just not the case. So we're seeing that family rejection, we're seeing very high levels of abuse. Um, we also are seeing um, an increased number of trans young people um, coming to our service. So that's really an area of the LGBT community that has a lack of acceptance within the community, but within wider society. I think the culture war is 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 causing um, a lot of hostility towards a lot of young people. Um, we're seeing really strong effects of the cost of living crisis as well, particularly in cities like London, where how everyone seems to have taken a slide down this housing scale 
it is very, very difficult for a young person to access independent accommodation. Um, and of course, that brings with a lot of mental health issues and that trauma from that abuse and rejection by their family. Um, some of the other issues that we see that young people who come to us, there's a barrier in accessing local services. They may not understand uh, the background that LGBTQ people are more likely to be homeless. And they may look at a young person who may just say, well, you do have a home, you do have a family. They don't understand the pressures that young person is under. So that lack of um, acceptance by local authority, there's also very little monitoring of LGBTQ people in mainline services. So we may not know the full number, and we've done a little bit of research um, to look at that and to talk to people working within housing and homelessness to start that, that mandatory monitoring, which would help this. A lot of young people also forced to go back into the closet just to survive maybe in shared accommodation. They may have faced some abuse at home. They may go into uh, shared accommodation and they may have a homophobic or transphobic roommates, um, which then just causes them to leave that situation again. Substance misuse, sexual exploitation, we see uh, people being deported to home countries, even uh, forced marriage, honor-based violence. It can get quite <laughs> scary for a lot of young people. And we are certainly, since the pandemic, seeing that range of complexity increase and young people bringing more of those experiences kind of wrapped in, into one package, if you like. Um, and so that has really uh, refocused our work to look. We've always taken a holistic approach um, to making sure young people are supported, but looking at those different experiences and how and that effect on the one person. Thank you for that, Carrie. And that I mean, there's a, a lot going on there that you've picked up on. Um, so as well as there being the, let's say, the the overall issues that people who experience homelessness face in terms of cost of living, in terms of access to housing, in, cost, in terms of difficulty finding trauma-informed services, on top of that, you have layers of abuse, rejection, even having to deny your own identity to be able to access some services. So there's a complexity of barriers that are compounding these issues for, in particular, young people experiencing homelessness who identify as LGBTQ plus as well. And those specific issues then when becoming homeless um, if we could draw out a little bit more and you're talking about that lack of understanding abuse rejection what then are more specific issues to lgbtq plus young people when they become homeless i think that's that's um, an issue that that we deal with a lot um, within the work of our services team is that Taking someone who is facing homelessness and getting them into safe accommodation is quite complex. But then when you you look at the experience and kind of hidden homelessness, if you like. So a lot of there's an image of people who who uh, are facing homelessness of being rough sleeping. Typically, we see a lot of hidden homelessness, but since the pandemic, the rise in rough sleeping has really increased. And I think that is 
down to a lot of the hostility that is um, young people are facing um, across society for for their identity. That seems to be on the rise as as everything is is getting more difficult. It is really bearing down on them. And so we're looking at even the type of emergency accommodation that that young person could access and making sure that it is um, safe can be even harder. So taking them out of that uh, immediate situation, emergency accommodation can also be more challenging now. And so we try to work with partners that that we can trust. Um, and often that emergency accommodation has to take the form of, of a hotel. So a young person has their own place uh, on their own. Um, so that model has really changed. And I think some of the, the issues that they're bringing with them, mental health is always kind of hand in hand. And we do a lot of um, Sessions, obviously, helping people with housing and homelessness. That's the biggest request and the most kind of sessions that our caseworkers would do. Typically, mental health support would be number two. It is now financial assistance and learning how to manage that and uh, have that skill. And also, how, how do you cope um, in the current situation and then followed on by mental health? So that is a really, really stark change for us. So looking at that complexity of of young people who say that they have experienced rough sleeping. It may not be long-term or entrenched, but it is off and on. That is a real change that we've seen. And then this complexity around the financial situation is really difficult for a young person to na navigate. It's it's hard for all of us, but if you've never been on your own. So we really, through our youth engagement program, try to encourage those life skills and a lot of, of talking in one-on-one -on -one, um, to make sure a young person has that resilience to build their own independence. And you mentioned there a rise in rough sleeping and actually we're seeing nationally an increase in all experiences of homelessness, including rough sleeping and facing a crisis in terms of a precipice of the number of people and families in temporary accommodation who are right on that edge of facing homelessness in the next year as well. Uh, I think Estimates have put it at 270,000 households potentially now. So with that in mind, are things getting worse for LGBTQ plus young people who are facing homelessness? I think they are facing a much different landscape than they would have faced maybe even three years ago. Um, I think the profile of our young people has changed quite dramatically. We see quite a lot of uh, young people who face various barriers and and oppression throughout society. So it's it's that that is just compounded in this environment. It is uh, much more difficult for us to access independent accommodation for young people. So we're having to do a lot of advocacy, making sure that young people have access to council housing. Doesn't always happen in places like London. Um, that because, as you just mentioned, families are in that those kinds of supported accommodations. So there's there's that gap in how we create those safe pathways for young people. So that's a really key part of our kind of kind of next five years. We know that that um, we need to have that access to safe accommodation. So we're trying to develop some programs with partners and local authorities to create that LGBT inclusivity. Um, so that's a guarantee for young people that it will be safe um, when they go into that that accommodation. 
and that I think that immediacy is is really there and really really present we typically working in kind of youth homelessness don't have that same bounce back or cycle of perpetual homelessness that you may see in a in a more uh, mainline service but now that's what we're we're worried about is that maybe young people who didn't quite get to us or young people who have left our service will now face these increased pressures and we're, we're worried about that bounce back. So we're really developing some floating support to make sure that we're sort of monitoring that. And, and you know, young people aren't always good at telling you about their financial situation. Um, we don't want them to get to eviction. So we're trying to develop those those programs to support young people alongside making sure that they really have those life skills really in place and making sure of education training um, is all there as well. A lot of young people who do come to us are at that age that they may have gotten off track with their education. So that's another thing alongside accommodations. We want to make sure they get back. So if they were planning to go to university or planning to go to college or some type of training or apprenticeship program that needs to sit right alongside safe accommodation. So that is something I think that really everyone's thinking about on, on, a, on a real day-to-day -day basis. And those are our real success stories when we can see that now young person, great, they've, they're accommodated, but they also have a job and it's the job that they want um, and that will be able to sustain them for that, that time being as they kind of get on and get the start in life that they deserve. And you mentioned there also the increased pressures there are for young people and in particular for LGBTQ plus young people. Homelessness is physically, mentally and emotionally exhausting, affecting every area of a person's life. Some you mentioned there from health to education, from nutrition to employment. And research indicates that 24% of young people experiencing homelessness identify as LGBTQ plus. So this is a large percentage of the demographic that we're looking at when we're talking about young people experiencing homelessness and those who have been in the care system are also much more likely to be impacted by homelessness than their peers. So Carrie we've talked kind of about the, the pressures and the experiences but what about those long-term impacts? How does homelessness particularly impact the life chances of LGBTQ plus young people? Yes, I think that so when we're looking at youth homelessness and it's 16 to 25, it's that those immediate life chances. And so as we just mentioned, that like not accessing education opportunities and training opportunities, because if you face those barriers or you've had some level of rejection or abuse, you're not very likely to want to to pursue that. And so we've developed a youth engagement team with an AKT to help young people build those kind of social skills as well, so that when they are able to kind of move on into independence, they have a network. Um, a lot of young people will say that they don't have any LGBTQ friends because they've really had to keep that a secret and have really been living in a really pressurized environment. And they're not able to have that because it would have only invited more abuse um, and rejection on them. So it's really developing that kind of network and understanding of the community and making sure that they feel safe and secure in that community. We're also seeing, uh, we work with a level of homelessness, which is 16 to 25. 
typically if I had been talking to you just a few years ago, I would have said our core age is 19 to 21. But we're really seeing that 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 there isn't that core age right now. We are seeing a real increased number of 16, 17 year olds coming to us. And we're also seeing people at the at the higher end of that scale as well. So it's kind of still in little pockets, those kind of under 18, then you've got the 19 to 21, but then that 22 to, to 25 is still very prevalent in our service. And that might have been a time that previously young people could have gone out and 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 been living working on their own um, and we're not seeing that now so we're seeing that that cycle of, of youth homelessness kind of extended right across that entire age range um, and again that's post-pandemic um, so that's really kind of alongside increased hostility to to young people um, what they're seeing in the media that increases that abuse at home and then that that that's just impacting for that longer cycle. So we're not able to kind of concentrate on that core element. We've got different um, segments that we're working on and mentioned the increased pressures on trans young people. We um, are working, we're really lucky to get a piece of funding to do what's called a Trans Pathway Project. And it's based in our Manchester office and it's fully focused on trans young people, obviously in Manchester, but that learning and ways of working filters out across our teams nationally. Um, and that has its own kind of caseworkers, its own kind of manager to look at that strategy and how we move that and a youth engagement worker as well. So looking at that kind of holistic approach to all steps um, that a young person would have within AKT, but with a trans lens. It's great to hear about more of the work of AKT there, Carrie. A thread I just want to pull at a little more uh, was a word that you used earlier was hostility. I think there's also there's a double discrimination going on because there's a stigma of homelessness itself. And then there's also discrimination around LGBTQ plus identities. In particular, there you highlighting the experiences of trans individuals as well. So that sort of double discrimination, experiencing homelessness and based on kind of their own, how they identify and the, uh, in different groups as well, having those overlapping barriers as well. What assumptions are made about LGBTQ plus experiences of homelessness and how did those stereotypes and that stigma impact young people? That's a really, really good question. And there are, I think that that hostility, we, we are seeing that that really increase in how that that what that does to to the young person at that that age. We see that, you know, young people having to kind of mention going back into the closet or suppressing their identity, um, really hiding, trying not to project any queer stereotypes. And yet they see that in greater society and people doing that everywhere, but for them, they absolutely cannot do that. So that hostility is really, really increased when they can see there are areas of uh, our communities that are really open and accepting and they just can't access it. So that hostility is really felt very personally on them. Youth homelessness looks different. Um, there is that projection that if you're homeless, then you might be 
sleeping in a sleeping bag in a park or on a bench or in a tent. You know, we've had journalists contact us and say, can you introduce us to somebody sleeping in a tent? And we're like, well, no, because we wouldn't be doing our job if we knew there was somebody sleeping in a tent. So it's that kind of level of some young people are working and they cannot access accommodation and it's forced them into areas of rough sleeping or really, really unsafe toxic relationships or or precarious um, housing situations. So there, it is that that level that people think, well, we have lots of equality legislation. It's absolutely accepting to be LGBT and they're not thinking about that, that full experience across society. Um, a lot of young people may come out, um, but then go back in the closet when they go into work. In a lot of um, employers that are looking at that, in London in particular, if you have really junior level staff, they may be experiencing some form of homelessness or having to sofa surf because of the cost of living. So that that idea of what someone who is, quote, homeless looks like, it doesn't look like that now. During the pandemic, when we had the Everyone In program and there were lots of street outreach teams to make sure anybody without a place to stay could access that free accommodation that the government opened up. Oftentimes, uh, young, our young people or young people in general, even who aren't LGBT, might not have been seen as homeless because they're not street homeless. But they were reporting there because they were spending a day on a bus or typically might have been engaging in some risky behaviors, but clubs are closed, all these things and apps are shut down. They didn't have any place to go. And they were not necessarily, you know, there were sadly police presence, might've been shooed away because you don't look homeless. And that that was really tough to see. And I think that's why services like AKT, which is very, very specific in our mission, it's young people 16, 25, and it's LGBTQ+, when they do find us, it is, they see that immediately, that it is that safe place. And we're not seeing them as somebody who is homeless necessarily. It's someone who needs that support to get into accommodation. And it's really thinking about that as a person and kind of that end result and um, helping them on that journey to move towards that. And I think, you know, we, we, we do hear that all the time, um, that maybe when they have approached local services, they're not seen as being homeless again, because they might come from a community where you live with your family much longer, uh, and they will be told, well, you can go home, and they just don't understand that level of personal abuse. I was thinking about the importance of that more than safety piece as well. Like, yes, you're safe here, but it's a place to share, a place to build community, a place where you can find peers who've had similar experiences to you, uh, a place where you can be yourself and express yourself so that it's safety and celebratory in a sense as well. And I wondered then, does the UK lack LGBTQ plus inclusive accommodation? And what should an inclusive environment offer young people? Yeah, that's another really, really great question. And I think you described exactly what we try to embed in our work is that both it is a place of safety. It's also a place um, kind of for immediate action. We have we're a self-referral 
service so young people can come to us. Um, so that builds a level of trust as well. They don't have to be referred from another agency, another charity or local authority. They can be, can be from schools, lots of different ways, but young people can come directly to us. One of the issues, though, facing homelessness services, uh, and I suppose much more broadly the charity sector, though, are limited resources, which continue to be an issue, but also, you know, post-pandemic with a higher demand for the services and then that reduction in uh, resources and spending that's uh, being allocated. So there's social disadvantages, rejection, discrimination based on who you are, compounding those limited resources. Uh, we're seeing then that LGBTQ plus individuals are underserved still. Pathways to safe, affordable, inclusive housing does still need to be improved in order to effectively tackle their experiences of homelessness. In particular, though, for those who are marginalised, such as minoritised ethnic groups, trans individuals, as you mentioned, as well as disabled LGBTQ plus people. So, Carrie, how, considering that, you know, LGBTQ plus people are not a homogenous group, and nor are their experiences of homelessness, how can services ensure they provide the right support? Yeah, that's another um, really good question. And you're right to say that there's not one type of experience. Um, we see different experiences uh, in different areas of the country. It might be that, you know, in London, it's all it's very competitive and very expensive. And then we have young people facing rural isolation and and that level of rejection because people don't have even less understanding of that situation. And so that can really, again, kind of complicate that um, experience of a young person um, and it can make it harder for them to want to access support as well. The limitation on funds, everything is getting more expensive. So we definitely see that. Um, we're very fortunate at AKT is that our kind of funding model has is a fundraise model. And over the years, we've moved that to mostly unrestricted funding. So we have that ability to focus on the, the areas and, and adapt and change our service as it's needed. Um, however, that's also getting more complicated. So we are looking at how we extend those kind of statutory uh, kind of contracts um, to build those, those pathways. Housing is very complex and certainly housing management is, is very, very complex. So having partners who can take on that bit of the work so that we can really focus on the young person, their well-being, and getting them into eventually into independence. But having those places secured um, for housing will keep them safer in the long run. Um, that's a very big piece of work for us. And we hope to kind of grow that um, quite substantially so that we can have that access to housing pathways that sadly, also because of rising cost and, and lack of funding are are fewer than than they were probably a decade ago. So that's against competition. And but working with that kind of community that we have and, and that the complexity of those identities and experiences really compounds that need for LGBTQ plus exclusive inclusive housing.
Thank you, Carrie. We've talked quite a bit in terms of the causes, the impact, uh, some of the experiences, issues that LGBTQ plus young people are facing. But if we draw it back to a question of prevention, is there more work that can be done to help prevent LGBTQ plus young people becoming homeless? Is there something um, in terms of like more social acceptance, something that can be done kind of at that earlier family stage? Or is it so, so much of an individualised experience that this will continue to be an issue for a long time for LGBTQ plus young people? I think there's probably a combination of that. In my role, I get the opportunity to speak to lots of groups. And through my experience at, at AKT, I've gone into schools or my team's gone into schools and you see Pride Week. And, you know, I grew up in the 80s. It was in, in America. There was no Pride Week. Um, I think even a decade ago, a lot of schools didn't host that. So that level of acceptance is great. Um, we know that younger generations are entirely acceptance accepting. It is that it's kind of isolated communities that will take time. And sadly for the young person living in that, they don't always have that time. And I think if you speak to people across generations, um, there are different survival skills. You know, many people who are, who are my age, um, growing up in the 80s, 90s, 70s, they just repressed those identities until they made their way to independence and could either support themselves on their own, or maybe they've always hid some of it to, to their families. We're seeing young people don't want to do that. They shouldn't have to do that. Um, and that's causing a lot of, of conflict um, in society. But having those areas that are safe for young people and for charities like AKT to help young people to access that and build their own community and their own network so that they know there are places that they are accepted and celebrated and that it's safe. That's a big piece of work and it's a really moving piece. There's lots of moving pieces in that. It changes all the time. But it, ultimately, that's the goal. It is we're really focused. Our mission is housing homelessness, but it is about allowing that young person to become their their fully formed self and to be embraced and supported and accepted. We end every episode of the podcast with a recurring segment where I ask each guest the same question. What does home mean to you? Carrie, what does home mean to you? Thank you. Um, I think for me, home is the place that you want to return. Home is the place where you are loved. Home is the place where you feel welcome. I spend a lot of time in my home these days working, um, but when I come home, it is that welcome, either from my family or my my pets, whatever it is, that's where you feel the most secure is when you come home and have that welcome. And that's really what we hope all young people have. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Carrie. Thank you. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode. We would like to thank our guest, Carrie Reiners, for joining us and sharing her thoughts. For more information about our work, please visit meaningofhome.uk. Follow us on X at meaningofhomelu. Remember to follow and share our podcast. And of course, 
thank you all for listening to The Meaning of Home. This podcast was created by The Home CDT. It was hosted by Sarah Christou, produced and edited by Dave Angel, and the music is by the Angel Brothers. All ideas expressed in this podcast are those of the individual. The meaning of home is brought to you by doctoral researchers at Loughborough University. Mm-hmm.